Our chronological look at the career of Carol Kane continues on Praising Kane with the beloved adventure comedy The Muppet Movie from 1979. It's Praising Kane. I'm your esteemed host and guide, Liam O'Donnell, and with me is my own Doc Hopper, Doug Tilly. Doug, how's your life going right now? It's so good right now, Liam. I'm yes. staying very, very positive in the year 2022. Yes. That's it. I mean, you know what? I listen to a lot of podcasts, and everyone's sure. feeling so negative, and it's yeah. because they're they're kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're trying to predict that the rest of this year is going to be bad. I think yeah. all the shit's going to turn around. I, I think whatever... You. I think the worldwide pandemic is just going to stop, right? Just just stop entirely. I feel like climate change is on its way up. Yeah, and when I say yeah. up, I mean uh, going in the opposite direction. Yeah. I think the um, the massive uh, gap between rich and poor, it's going to shrink it dink, dink, and shrink we're going to be down. shrinking. You know what? It's shrinking, probably because of that Joe Byron fella. But I mean, it's going to be fine. <laughs> the rest of this year is looking A-OK yeah, yeah. in the eyes of Mr. Doug Tilly. You know, previously I've been known to say that PMA is like a mental illness and uh-huh. that people who say positive mental attitude all the time should get beat up. But Absolutely. you know what? I'm turning my shit around. I am PMA all day, motherfuckers. I know that if I just assume this year will be good, yes. it's got to be good, right? Absolutely. Like, it's, it's like not, the secret, right? Yeah. It's, it's believing that it's, it's going to happen. It's, it's going to make it possible for my hopes and dreams not to f- be fulfilling and come true. That's yes. just, that's just That would never happen. You know what else is useful right now? Liam? Yeah. Yeah, the positive power of prayer. Oh, sure. Oh, that's where we're gonna go with this now. <laughs> it's just the same thing. It's just believing in some sort of nonsense, and then it just happens. <laughs> I appreciate that, <laughs> Liam. Yeah, Muppets. We're so excited to be here talking. But this is part of the reason I'm feeling so optimistic. By the way, yeah. Because- no, the, I, I, you know what? We're joking here, f- fans and friends and Are listeners. We? <laughs> we're we're messing around a little bit. But I will say, after watching the Muppets, it's a little hard not to be like, "Yo, life is like pretty good, though, right?" Like, come on, the fucking yeah. Muppets. As long as you don't think about how Jim Henson died of horrible cancer, I mean, you know it's pretty yeah. good, pretty positive. No, it's cool. I wanted to remember that time where I had to leave a little league game because I couldn't stop crying in right field about Jim Henson's death. So, right, thanks, because thanks you knew dog. you knew Kermit would never sound right ever again afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck. Yeah, no, that's right. Hey guys, yeah. So on this episode, we're talking about. <laughs> hey we're, guys, <laughs> we're talking about the fucking. We're talking about the Muppet movie, and I wanted I wanted to spend some time talking about the Muppets, and of course, Doug found a way to bum me out. But we're talking about the Muppets, the fucking Mu- Doug. Okay, let's let's. I know you're Canadian, and I'm assuming in Canada there's some sort of law against the Muppets because they're too diverse or some shit. I don't know, or they you know they don't have enough maple leaves in their production or whatever so i'm sure you have some canadian version that's just like weird bears that like drink beer or some shit i don't know but i'm assuming you've always been industrious you've always found ways to sneak the good shit into your shitty country so what is your relationship with the muppets well i did grow up with the muppets most certainly when i say the muppets i mean i mean first of all sesame street right i mean i had a very close relationship with sesame street as a child and you were joking a little bit, I think, there, Liam. But there are Canadian Muppets. Fuck. Specifically, Canadian Muppets were introduced in 1987. What? And they include Basil the Bear. No, stop. No. A French-Canadian otter named Louis the Otter. Okay, that makes sense. And Katie, a girl in a wheelchair. And they, what it is is they would be incorporated into um, their own little skits on Sesame Street. But then, of course, they would then play regular real sesame street stuff let's say as well which is how i imagine you know you hear a lot about the international versions of sesame street having their own muppets for those areas i think most of the material is still kind of like original og sesame street that they just have like skits that are incorporated amongst those i mean if you've watched enough sesame street you know that 
by the 80s, they weren't filming that much original material That's for each right. episode. Exactly. They were just recycling <laughs> stuff from the 70s. It's one of the things I've discovered going back. If, if anyone has HBO Max out there, uh, they have old Sesame Street on there. Now, do they have the complete episodes? No, and it's a fucking crime. But they do have samples from each of the years. And yeah. watching those old episodes, there's stuff they're playing in 1974 – that I remember from my childhood in the 80s. So like, you know, that that recycling aspect has always been and it makes sense, right? Because your audience is always aging up and aging out. Yeah. So if you repeat some shit, some kids aren't going to know. You know, they're not going to know that it's something you did 4 years ago or 5 years ago. And I remember when Mr. Hooper died, that was a big Yeah, big deal. deal. Yeah. Uh, I remember a lot Wait, Can I pause you just for a second, Doug, and, and I just want to point out if I was making a skit about Canadian Sesame Street, and I said, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a bear, an otter, and someone in a wheelchair. That would be an insensitive joke about Canada. Like, that would be... Because it's... Uh, it's That is... A, you just described... The, the characters they picked are a bad American caricature of what Canadian media is like. But don't you think there'd be a beaver in there somewhere? I literally would have said bear, otter, and someone in a wheelchair. That's what oh, I would have said. Oh, interesting. Yeah, That's... it's it's really crazy. I mean, you're right. I guess a beaver would make sense too. But I think the otter also works. I mean, part of that though is I'm I'm slightly biased towards the otter thing because of of course the otter Christmas special, the otter family. Uh, Emmett otter. Yeah, Emmett course. otter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Featuring music by Paul Williams, who of course does the music for the Muppet movie, which we'll get into yes, in just a little yes. bit. Liam. But yes, no, I did grow up with the Muppets. I was very excited when Follow That Bird came out in uh, cinemas. I kind of fell away a little bit in the 90s. Uh, I think, I mean, I, I did see and enjoyed A Muppet Christmas Carol. It didn't become part of my regular cycle of Christmas movies uh, like it did for so many other people. But I, I didn't really get back into the Muppets until the Jason Segel Muppet movie a few years back, which I did enjoy a lot. Didn't like the sequel that much. And then they did that TV series that was sort of a little more adult where Kermit and Miss Piggy broke up. And uh, I don't know. I'm feeling a little a little uh, uh, pushed away from the whole Muppet experience right now. Oh, that's interesting. Now, I've never watched the show, so obviously I'm part of the problem. I will say that I've heard other people say the show was really good. Uh, yeah, it, it, well. <laughs> I, I'm just like that, that it was only the first couple episodes that were rough. But if you stick through the whole season, that it actually ended up being really great. And, you know, people should have given it a chance. I don't know. I, I don't have a strong opinion on it because I haven't watched it. But honestly, I was less inclined to watch it when I heard that it was good, actually, because I only thought about it after it was already canceled. So the idea right. that I'm going to go and invest in a season that's going to be really good and then that's it, that's actually more of a bummer to me than if I sat through a whole season and it was bad because it's like, well, that you know, it makes sense that it didn't work, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah, um, is it canon? <laughs> that's, the, that's the important thing, right? It's all that material canon at this point? Well, I mean, I, I do think it's uh, – this is one of the things, and we'll talk about this more when we talk about this movie, but it is interesting, this idea to go back to the nostalgia of the Muppets because it feels to me – like starting with episode one of the Muppet Show, the Muppets have always been nostalgic, right? It's sure. worth noting for people who don't know the history, the Muppets actually started in the fifties as yeah. a late night TV thing that was honestly for people smoking weed in New York. Like that's what the Muppets <laughs> were for. It was a lot more. Uh, the the humor was still juvenile and silly and funny, but it also had like double entendre and stuff going on, which that sure. obviously wasn't a, a thing later on. Um, but, like, when the Muppets were being featured on, like, Johnny Carson and all, all this stuff that they were doing before the Muppet Show actually got on the air, it always felt a little retro in some ways, you know? Sure. But especially Absolutely. once the Muppet Show started, and this is something I didn't realize because I grew up with reruns of the Muppet Show. But I also was very invested in the in the movies and, of course, very invested in both Sesame Street and Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock, The red-headed course. stepchild that people don't talk about as much anymore. Though I heard uh, that they're bringing <clears throat> it back. God, I hope so. Yeah. I love Fraggle Rock. Um, anyways, so I was invested in these things to a certain extent. But when I was a kid, it didn't occur to me that like the very idea that the Muppets have a variety show is in and of itself – retro it's nostalgia that the thing itself is nostalgic so it is kind of weird to me now that i realize that as an adult how much nostalgia we feel for it like going back you know it's like oh we got to reach back to the the muppets and when that was a thing and it's like well when they were doing the muppets that was nostalgia i mean half the like famous people on there weren't that famous at the time like some were very famous but they would definitely have actors on that like were kind of a little washed up at the time but that was partly the charm of having them on the muppet show 
And have you ever seen that uh, clip of Stevie Wonder playing Superstition on on Sesame Street, which is so just like, good? It's amazing, right? It's I, just like this incredible. But it's just like I would have maybe have seen that in the 1980s and not even recognize what I was seeing. Like you said, there's a timeless aspect of it because it's not chronological in any way. So you're kind of jumping all over the place, but it all becomes part of this kind of shared experience. Well, and it's worth noting, I think, for me and other people. I had no idea of the history of these productions. So I always thought the Muppets were a thing, and then they helped birth Sesame Street. And that's kind of true, but really the Muppet show happened because Sesame Street was one of the most popular shows in the world on public television, which, like, people didn't fucking watch public television, guys. Like, that wasn't a thing. Like, people, you know, PBS was, like, Bad in at least in the U.S. I don't know what it was like in Canada. Uh, and Sesame Street exploded. I, think we can, I don't know what it was like either, but I think it's safe to say that it was worse. <laughs> yeah. But Sesame Street by the second year of Sesame Street, Sesame Street was one of the most watched TV shows in the country. That's huge for a show for kids. They they were doing live Sesame Street shows in the second year of the show because it was such a big fucking phenomena. And so like. Uh, while obviously the Muppets had their own cachet in the culture before Sesame Street, Sesame Street really propelled them into having uh, their own show. It, it, it's like a different relationship than I was aware of. And so it's kind of funny to think about like, you know, yes, you know, Muppet Show had some great appearances. You know, I love when Vincent Price was on there. Or, you know, I'm talking about the first run. The, sure. la- later on, Prince was on the second incarnation of the Muppet Show, mm-hmm. which I also watched at the time, by the way, and liked a lot too. Uh, but in that first incarnation, they did have some like big names on there. But it's worth noting that they had some even bigger names on Sesame Street because people saw Sesame Street as a fucking cause, right? As a mission, as like a, there was something radical about Sesame Street, which like the Muppet Show didn't have to do, right? The Muppet Show was just like, hey, remember old Hollywood? Remember? Yeah, it's remember? a variety show. Yeah, yeah, like a, yeah. yeah. It's, it, it is, I mean, at the time that the Muppet movie came out, which is while the Muppet Show was still on the air. Sure. The Muppet Show was one of the biggest shows in the world. It was huge. It was, it was unbelievable. It was absolutely massive, which is why they could basically get you know most of the 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 progenitors of co- television comedy to be in this movie, right? It's basically a history of comedy in in a similar way to we're, it's a mad 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 world. We're gonna get we're gonna get to it when we talk about the movie specifically, y'all. But if you've or for some reason you're listening to this and you've never seen it, it's hard because it's so far away that I'm sure there are faces that people won't recognize. You sure, know? but it, you're right in that it really is a history of comedy in this movie, and that like. You know this this cavalcade of cameos is almost part of the point of the film. I was yes. watching it with my daughter, and I was thinking how many people younger than me are like half the movie isn't as funny because they don't know who these fucking people are. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they we'll, we'll we'll mention it, but the appearance of Orson Welles itself is one of the best executed punchlines in the history of movies, as far as I'm concerned. But if you don't know who Orson Welles That's is, right. it's not nearly as funny. <laughs> That's right. If you don't know who that is, where he says one line in the entire thing, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's it certainly is a movie of its time in a certain way, in a way that a lot of other Muppet material isn't, that it's more timeless. The fact that it's playing into certain... It's, there's even a lot of kind of pop culture references in the dialogue that you don't usually see. But this is a movie that is meant to appeal if not as much to children as to adults, maybe even leading further into the adult category. I think that's also always been true of The Muppet Show, that they, yeah, they always true. are playing both sides of the street and really want to like get parents and kids to watch at the same time in a way that like Sesame Street did a little bit of, but didn't do as much of. You know, right. Sesame Street had plenty of things where it's like, this is obviously for kids. The Muppet Show is very much like, we still want kids to feel comfortable watching, but we're willing to do more things that adults are going to understand, especially in the idea of like contextual humor. So the joke in a skit on The Muppet Show might appeal to the kids, but the actor who's doing it is only going to resonate for the adults, if that makes sense. Yeah, and of course, this is a Muppet-themed podcast, right? Because that's sure. why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so as, as you guys know, this is a Carol Kane. We're going to actually talk about some Carol Kane news. Carol Kane has a very small role in this movie, but she does show up twice, which is more than some of the more famous people in the movie. So who knows? We'll see. We'll see. We'll talk about it in a sec. Before we get into this movie, though, let's talk about there's one 
very small piece of Carol Kane news I think we should talk about. You've added it here, Doug. As everyone knows, Doug does all the research for this show. I'm just the pretty face. Uh, and so a new movie has been added to the Carol Kane IMDb uh, coming in 2022. is a movie called I, Mordecai. Uh, this is the first film by cigar company owner Marvin Samuel. I'm yeah, going to say sure. Samuel. Uh, the plot is a Holocaust survivor born and raised in a different time must now face the realities of a modern world. When confronted with an unfamiliar object, an iPhone will Mordecai be able to fit into a world that has changed so much around him. And this film features Judd Hirsch, Sean Astin, Nick Puga, and of course, the subject of this podcast, Carol Kane. Now look. Man, I don't know about you, Doug, but I find humor related to iPhones to be very relevant and like just cutting edge for our time. <laughs> I, I assume you feel the same. How do you feel about this I, this movie, I, Mordecai, coming out in 2022? I don't know really what to expect with this movie. Nope. Uh, this is the only movie ever made by this gentleman who is both writing and directing. Maybe he has, you know, maybe his, his motivations are incredibly pure and positive. I also don't know how to interpret that description. A Holocaust survivor born and raised in a different time. Is this like a time travel thing? Or were they in a... Because, I mean, if Judd Hirsch is playing the lead character, which you would expect he is, since he's playing a character called Mordecai in a movie called I, Mordecai, it's like what has caused him to be separated from the development of this technology over the time? I, I, I need to know more about it before I know what to expect out of it. And if it's like a fish out of water thing where... You know, someone is, who has experienced basically one of the greatest tragedies that has ever existed, and then we're meant to feel what is it? Is it maudlin about it? Are we meant to? Is it going to be melodramatic? Is it going to be humorous? Are you going to be able to 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 squeeze humor out of that situation? I don't know. It might be great. It's got a good cast. I love Judd Hirsch. I love Sean Astin. And of course, we both love Carol Kane. But uh, this is the sort of concept that could easily go very wrong. It's not helpful that the only descriptor of the film is family. You know, like if it if it's if it was drama or humor or something else, that would be helpful because it's like, okay, you know, it's it's gonna be serious. But family could be anything. That is not a helpful especially considering the the subject matter. Who knows what the angle is gonna be? My worry is that it's gonna be some sort of like uh uh, Hallmark style uplifting, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's like, that's, I don't think that's what I want, especially when the subject is apparently about how confusing iPhones are. I just don't, you know, the name is I Mordecai. It's, it's just not interesting anymore. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's, it seems like poor timing to me for this particular idea, but you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe this guy has a secret talent for filmmaking and this is his first chance to explore it. I mean, maybe. I, I'm gonna hope for the, like I said I'm, I'm I'm being optimistic in the year 2022 and I think you'd have to be very optimistic to believe that this is going to be something great but I will say that the history of Hollywood over the past decade and the uh, the name Mordecai <laughs> have, it's not have been a, a sign of positive things let's say so um, but but you know what we will see Liam because we will I'm sure check out I Mordecai when it comes out. Whenever. It's in post-production right now, so I imagine we'll see it by the end of this year, but maybe we'll never see it. I mean, considering we just got to 1979's The Muppet Movie, I'll probably be dead before we get to I'm Mordecai, <laughs> so that's fine by me. <laughs> Liam, we can, we can enjoy Cal Kane in our spare time. We don't have to wait for the movies to show up uh, in our in, list here. In this case, I don't think that's going to happen. All right, well, so we're going to take a quick break, y'all. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about a movie that... I don't know how formative it is for Doug. It is formative for me, but it's also a film where, and this is something that Doug said off mic, but I want to highlight and come back to as a subject. It's hard not to, in my memory, confuse it with the other Muppet movies. Yeah. Uh, every of that time period, at least. Uh, yeah. The, uh, 70s, 80s era. Every time I watch it, I think, oh, this is the movie with the restaurant guy. Okay. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that and more after this break. We'll be right back. Hello, sailor. Buy me a drink? Uh, oh, you see, I, I'm not a sailor, I'm a frog. Uh, that's a small talk and buy me a drink. But I don't even know you. Hey. You making a move with my girl? No, sir. He did too. He touched me. Ugh, go wash. You'll get what? Uh, no, you see, that's just a myth. Yeah, but she's my myth. No, no, myth, myth. 
Kermit and his newfound friends trek across America to find success in Hollywood, but a frog legs merchant is after Kermit. <laughs> it's 1979's The Muppet Movie. Come on, I, 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 I had to read it for you guys, but you know what it is. It's The Muppet Movie. It's you know the Muppets are trying to make it for the first time on film, uh, and you know there, there's a guy with a ridiculous accent who wants to get Kermit. We all know what it is. Uh, directed by James Frawley, who is best known for directing television, directed the Monkey TV series, episodes of Smallville, Law and Order, and Grey's Anatomy. Um, you know, it's it's worth noting. I always assumed Jim Henson directed everything, sure. uh, but that's not true. And uh, it it was actually kind of a problem on set, but we'll get to that later. Um, he, you know, Jim Henson and the other Muppets folks were more focused on this thing that they were doing, which is like making the Muppets believable. In a film, I don't know if anyone remembers the uh, Muppet Christmas special, uh, the Sesame Street Christmas special from the 70s, but uh, seeing the Sesame Street characters ice skate in full life form didn't do it. That was upsetting, actually. So they had to figure out how to put the Muppets in the movie and have them look like fucking Muppets. Uh, it was written by Jerry Jewell and Jack Burns, who were both primary writers on The Muppet Show itself. Um, and it stars, I mean, obviously, The Muppets. But a a fucking cavalcade of guest stars on this thing. So yeah, of course you have your Muppet performers like Jim Henson and Frank Oz. But we're looking at um, Charles Durning, Austin Pendleton, Edgar Bergen, Milton Berle, Mel Brooks, uh, James Coburn, Dom DeLuise, Elliot Gould, Bob Hope, uh, uh, Madeline Kahn, Steve Martin, uh, Richard Pryor. Uh, and obviously Carol Kane and other, I'm, I'm sure honestly, Doug, I don't know about you, but even some of the extras in this movie, I was like, I've seen, I've seen that guy before that guy, I've seen him <laughs> in something, you know what I mean? Like th- there was you a mean, lot you mean of the guy, guy carrying the Confederate flag. Is that the guy that you've seen? <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to say in one of the scenes, there's a strong man who I've definitely seen in other stuff in that bar scene where, uh, 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 Fozzie tricks them to go all up on the roof. Right. Drinks on the house, and they all go up to the house. The guy who's like, oh, where are the drinks? I'm like, I've seen that guy in other things. <laughs> uh, whatever. Anyways, before we start talking about all these you know, cameo upon cameo, a fucking uh, uh, a tsunami of cameos in this movie, let's just focus on the movie itself. Doug, I know you don't have a heart, so you probably hated it. What did you think of the Muppet movie from 1979? It would be impossible to dislike this movie, I think. I mean, maybe not impossible. I guess if you have no background at all, and this is like, you know, it's just a bunch of fucking puppets talking to celebrities, a lot of celebrities that you don't know because they were big in the 70s and no one cares about them anymore or something along those lines, you might be able to be cynical about a movie like this, but even someone as cynical as myself can't help but love this movie, maybe because it's kind of cynical already. You know what I mean? It's not like the Sesame Street, which kind of has the trade on a lot of... of uh, positivity here there's there's a lot of of difficulties that these characters have to encounter on their way and there is kind of like a a real threat i mean the threat is only that that they want kermit to be a mascot it's not like he's in danger of losing his legs himself but by the end i mean it's his life that is literally on the line i love the travelogue aspect of it i think it fits the idea of having this series of cameos that are and and honestly a movie like this lives and dies by the quality of that those cameos to a certain extent in in terms of how those characters that these famous people play um, are able to be worked into the plot. And I think that they're very cleverly done here. Some of them go maybe a little too far. I think Mel Brooks is maybe... <laughs> even even in a Muppet movie, he's playing it pretty broad. But uh, Mel, Mel Brooks has never read a, a Nazi character he didn't want to portray. <laughs> no kidding, right? And I mean, good on him, right? I mean, he knows what he's doing. And I don't know why James Coburn is in this movie. He's in it for like three seconds at the beginning. Has almost nothing to do whatsoever. Maybe he had some, uh, some material cut out, but... I, it's just a delightful movie to watch. It's so satisfying. All your favorite characters from The Muppet Show, each one gets kind of a moment to shine. Uh, Animal gets a lot of great moments, my own personal favorite there, uh, and also gets one particular moment near the end uh, where he gets to be absolutely gigantic. But, uh, I mean, if you love these characters, if you love The Muppet Show, you will probably love this movie. And I feel like it's, aside from the fact that uh, if you are not as familiar with the celebrity aspect of this, of the 1970s, that, that some of it might feel particularly dated, outside of that, I think it's aged extremely well. 
And as I was saying in that opening segment, um, in some ways it works as sort of a history of comedy up to that point with yeah. Milton Berle and Mel Brooks. And, of course, Edgar Bergen shows up with Charlie McCarthy uh, uh, right before his own death. And thankfully, Liam, and you must have been delighted by this, we also have Dom DeLuise here, your favorite actor. Fucking, <laughs> fucking Dom DeLuise! <laughs> When he shows up at the beginning, all I could think about is this movie has kind of weird connections with the career of Carol Kane, right? We have Elliot Gould in here. We have Dom DeLuise. We have um, the Charles Durning as the villain, and he, she's worked with him many times. And he shows up in the movie we're going to be covering on the next episode of Praising Kane. It just makes sense that Carol Kane would be in here in a <laughs> essential role. The fucking uh, cavalcade of cameos that is this movie is a little weird for me because I'm sure at the time all these people felt very significant. And there still are a few people who show up. Like, I don't care how detached you are from the culture of the past. you got to know who Steve Martin is or Richard Pryor. Sure. I would even say, for at least for movie fans, Elliot Gould still feels like, wow, Elliot Gould is in this? Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. But there's definitely people who show up, not least of which is Dob DeLuise, but other people who you recognize who maybe if you aren't as familiar with the history of entertainment, maybe don't impact the same way you know what i'm saying so there's a little bit of that going on and and it is a little surprising like you know great example of james coburn in 1979 i'm sure you just see him and are like oh my god james coburn and then the fact that he doesn't do anything else but make that one little joke is a little weird it it almost feels like i think telly savalas is probably in that category that's true too you're right telly savalas is like two seconds and then that's it right (laughs) um or uh uh or you know, for that matter, Madeline Kahn, right? Uh, yeah. You know, but but still, this idea that like that's part of the cool thing of the Muppets is like m- the Muppets are always flexing a little bit about their connections to famous people. That's sure. part of the the joke of the Muppets. And I will say that this movie relies on that a lot more than more modern Muppets properties. If you're more familiar with the new Muppets, the new Muppets are a little less excited to do that. They still do it. But they also work on having some other jokes going on. And this film has less jokes than you might expect, honestly. Don't, don't you think, Liam, that that one of the big differences, and it's a similar kind of difference that you see in modern episodes of The Simpsons compared to the early seasons, is that all of these famous faces show up playing characters. They're not playing themselves. Right. Right. Yes, yes. So you see, yeah, you got... Yeah, you're right. Uh, Richard Pryor shows up, but he's playing a balloon salesman. He's not playing Richard Pryor. Yes, for the audience, you're like, oh, Richard Pryor is here. But they're not even necessarily playing into how people would see their public persona. They're playing characters in the movie. Right. Well, but in those two more recent Muppet movies, not everybody was playing themselves either. No, but you could totally see a situation where it'd be like, oh, Lady Gaga showed up and she's playing Lady Gaga. That sort of thing. Yeah, well, the best example of that is on the show, you know, when, you know, whether it's Vincent Price or Prince or whoever. Sure. You know, that they're they're going to be themselves and they're going to make jokes related to who they are. You know what I mean? If, if, uh, if uh, it's anyone from Star Wars, there's going to be Star Wars stuff on the Muppet show. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, yeah. Whatever, whatever. But, anyways, all that to say, one of the things that might feel a little melancholy for some people is realizing that these people whose very presence meant so much at the time have a lot less resonance for people now sure. and, and play a little less, have a little less punch to them. You know, they, they matter a little less. I mean, you know, I watch this with my daughter. She's only four, so that doesn't really count, but I'm sure for like someone even a little older, like the Steve Martin character is funny. It doesn't matter that it's Steve Martin. It's also funny, right. but not everyone who shows up is funny funny necessarily in and of themselves you know what I right mean? yeah yeah like bob hope doesn't really have much no. to do in here it's just it's just the fact that he's here and that he's in a movie with mel brooks and milton burl etc etc but i mean to a certain extent i mean let's not forget we're doing a podcast about carol kane sure an actress yes. who's i mean she's still beloved and still works a lot but uh certainly her most recognizable roles would be coming in probably in the 1970s and more Agreed. so in the 1980s, yeah. right? Uh, and and probably wouldn't be as recognizable. And that is one thing I really want to ask you about, even though you're hosting this particular episode, Liam, which is that what did Carol Kane's appearance in this mean at the time that this movie came out, right? Did people recognize her enough? Was she as much – because, again, we're still pre-taxi here. 
Was she established enough that people would be like, oh, that's that actress that we recognize from other things playing this kind of throwaway joke character? Or was she just an actress here? It's something I'm actually not sure about. It's actually, I think it's funnier in retrospect because we know who she is and she became so famous afterwards than it is in the context of the movie. I think she's recognizable because of her Oscar nomination, but there's no way she had the impact of Steve Martin or Richard Pryor. Of course, or, right, right. Or even Dom DeLuise. You know, like she, it has, there has to be a chunk of the audience who's like not sure who she is. And I wonder if, if that's somewhat evidenced by the fact that she actually has a joke. Yeah. Like, like there's actually humor to what she's doing. Whereas for some of the people, they don't do anything. They're just there. Li- Liam, for those who haven't seen the movie, could you explain that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, people keep saying things about frogs and Kermit is offended and he wants people to know that it's a, that it's a, a myth. What they're saying is a myth. And, and, then he, and then they don't know what he means. And he says, myth, myth. And she turns around and says, yeah. And her character, by the way, isn't is not credited as Miss. Her character is Myth. <laughs> it's so good. And my, my favorite part about that is that unlike, you know, technically speaking, she's in the movie more than Telly Savalas or James Coper. Because or they Orson make, Welles, really. <laughs> yeah, because they make the joke again. I yeah. fucking love that. And in a context that it makes no sense whatsoever. In yeah. fact, they do a lot of like goofy jokes. It's a very goofy movie, you know, like yeah. a very silly movie. That is one of the goofy jokes that works for me a hundred percent. Like there, there are some ways that you could argue this movie is more charming than funny. Sure, and I don't think that's a critique. I think it's meant to be charming and it's meant to be uplifting. There's a lot of positivity in this movie. In some ways, this movie feels more like a Sesame Street movie than it does a, a Muppets movie, if only because. It's so goddamn life affirming. It's so yeah. the whole thing is about encouraging its audience to take a chance on life and to try something new. That that's sort of like the blood of the movie. Um and and yet there are some jokes that just work as jokes, I would argue. One, a giant animal coming out of the top of the fucking building <laughs> is always gonna be funny to me. But the <laughs> other one is Carol Kane the second time saying, Yeah. You know, like that just it just makes me laugh. Anyways, we're talking about Carol Kane too early. There's some other questions I wanted to ask you. One of which is this. This is a film in which, as we have said extensively, there are a lot of cameos from famous people, right? But it's also a film that is fictionalizing how the Muppets made it, how the Muppets became the Muppets, right? Well, that's a theme of the next two movies that they make. And my question to you is, why are the Muppets always making it when they know so many famous people? It's a weird (laughs) thing that I don't know that I completely understand. I mean, I do think that it's important if you're going to be telling a story with the Muppets as opposed to kind of recreating a well-known story that already exists is that they have to be presented as the underdogs, right? And it's hard to be an underdog if you're famous television stars from the beginning, Um, And I imagine that's part of the motivation behind it. It's also weird to think about that in the world of these movies, the fact that there are living puppets going around is not like a strange thing, right? People interact with them. Like when they interact with Kermit the Frog, they just think of him as a talking frog. They don't think of him as a felt talking frog. Um, And so I think it's the, the, you're already talking about a sort of heightened fantasy reality. And, um, and, and you're, you can only, that you have to keep the story structure kind of simplistic and the simplest story structure you can do to make that work is underdogs trying to, you know, find fame, find fortune, get to where they are in the public consciousness so that by the time that you get to the end of the movie, you are where you are in the reality of the world that people are watching it in. But you're right. It is kind of strange. I'm just trying to think of what would, I mean, I would, if if it was my concept, right? If if, If I'm in the 1970s, it's like, we need to make a movie about the Muppet show. You think you would just make, the Muppet Show, but bigger, right? Where they're putting on a bigger show. This way of doing like the background and sort of the history of the Muppets that also serves as a history of comedy up to that time that includes like the contemporary figures like Steve Martin and Richard Pryor. I think it's kind of brilliant. And it's also, it's absolutely not what I would have expected going into seeing a movie called The Muppet Movie in 1979. Well, I 100% think it works for this movie. And technically, I guess it works for Muppets Take Manhattan, but it is strange that when we get to the great Muppet Caper, it's not 
the famous Muppets are on vacation in London and then get caught up. It's like they're still losers. It, yeah. it's, it's a weird performance thing that I don't know if it still works. And honestly, one of the reasons I think the the later Muppet movie, the first one, not so much the second one, works is because it finally switches gears and it's like, okay, you guys were famous, but now you're kind of washed up. Yeah, exactly. That actually made it work. So, I mean, there's stuff about that movie I don't love, but that aspect of it works very well for me. And I really appreciate it. Like, oh, I'm glad that they're finally acknowledging some of the world that they're in, you know? And and I, I, I get why at a certain point they switch gears and all the Muppet properties were not that for a while, you know, like there were a number of movies that came out Muppet treasure Island Muppets from space that were like straight to video and that were operating in a world where the Muppets just kind of like live together or something. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) they hadn't quite figured out like what their world was. It's almost like the movie itself are them putting on a show as opposed to, right. right? I mean that, that there's another layer of, of kind of meta text there. And I mean, this movie is a movie that, that really plays, into the idea that that this is a movie where characters are semi aware that they're in a movie. So there's a character that reads the script, and you can oh, you know, so that's how, good. Right, so and that's, good. that stuff is amazing. And what I think is so incredible about this movie is that you can have that kind of emotional distance from the material you're watching, and the fact that it's kind of aloof at times and very clever, but also that when there are emotional moments that this movie goes all in on the heart yeah. of the movie. Yeah. And that goes into the, especially the songs, right? Because the Rainbow Connection is a heartbreaking song. I mean, it, it's such so a beautifully, and it's presented in this movie as deadly serious, right? When that song is playing, you're supposed to be feeling something about that character singing that song and about how that character fits into this universe. And the magic of the Muppets as characters is the fact that it can switch from being the most broad, ridiculous, goofy humor imaginable, but also be very kind of heartbreaking and emotional at the same time. And I know that sounds, it might sound ridiculous if you don't have a lot of uh, uh, kind of uh, nostalgic connection with the Muppets, but I'm telling you, that song, like all the songs in this are amazing, but but starting out with the Rainbow Connection, I mean, I remember seeing this for the first time when I was a little kid and just like, like that song already felt like it was part of the public consciousness at that point in the 1980s, and from now I think it's even grown and grown and grown. Especially Agreed. because the, the the soundtrack of this has been is again it's it's part of our culture at this point. Yeah, and there's co- there's been covers of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it's it's worked its way in. I also think you've sort of nailed something that I think is worth mentioning, which is that the Muppets have always managed to be joyful and life affirming but also have a bit of melancholy to them. Yes, absolutely. And there's something about that that I think is brilliant, that just works very well. And it really comes across in this movie, right? That they can't just win, you know? Uh, I also want to talk about how the movie itself, as as you sort of described it, it's it's got this road trip feel. It's got this, like, quest feel. But it also references other sort of cinematic things, including the Western and, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of, like, they just show up and there's a carnival. Like, it, it feels like the movie is constantly connecting itself even with its beginning on a studio lot where they're screening the movie absolutely it's continually connecting itself to this history of hollywood and i like how the muppets somehow have this stance towards hollywood that is nostalgic but also mocking at the same time it it, the, the muppets are very good at paying homage while also making fun of something yeah absolutely and uh, they also are one of the key things about the television show the muppet show were celebrities kind of uh doing a piss take on themselves and their public yes, images yes. and things like that right because it it would, it would match up the sketches with backstage scenes which again is exactly what we're doing here right it pulls the this the the uh curtain back a little bit and then they're playing themselves in the back and you can have a lot of fun with with what people think of them and some of their roles and things like you're right it is tied very much into the popular culture of the time period yes. in which it came out but the thing is, when I watch the Muppet movie, that's one of the things I most love about it. It is it sure. isn't just seeing this kind of cavalcade of cameos, which which you've mentioned, but also the fact that they're very specifically chosen cameos. And mm-hmm. it's also not like they're not necessarily just the biggest people of the time, though people like Steve Martin and Richard Pryor certainly would have been, right? When you put a face like Bob Hope or Milton Berle in here, you're saying something as well. It's it's almost like a tipping of the hat to the history of the medium. It's again, it's it and I don't mean to compare it negatively with modern portrayals. But if you were doing this now, 
it really would be hard not to pick like who whoever was the flavor of the month uh and 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 force them into the movie in some way because you know that it's a more marketable thing you know what i'm really getting at is because disney is such this massive <laughs> conglomerate soulless corporation how can you have the real heart that people like Jim Henson and Frank Oz and Jerry Nelson brought to these characters because they had such protectiveness over them when it's just part of a series of IPs owned by this massive corporation. I mean, I will say this is the problem with the Haunted Mansion special, right? Did you watch the Haunted Mansion special? I did not. It's it's good. It's funny. It's Muppets. But uh, if we were to compare the use of celebrities, right, to the old – this is a point that I kind of already made that maybe I should circle around to too, which is that – the Muppets were always retro, that they were always looking back to the past as well as being in the present. Yeah, they're, they're, always, the old-fashionedness is built into them. There is extent. nothing other than the fact that the Haunted Mansion ride is old and that referencing that is referencing old Disney. There's nothing of that same sense of like old Hollywood, old celebrities to the Haunted Mansion special whatsoever. And I'm, I'm bringing that up, y'all, just because that's the most contemporary Muppet thing that we have is this Haunted Mansion special. And I was joyful to watch it because I want to see fucking Gonzo doing shit. You know, Gonzo is hanging out with Pepe, the the newest Muppet character that I actually like. <laughs> I'm I'm fucking in. I'm I am in. And the cameos are great. I'm not saying the cameos are bad, but they're all contemporary. They're all who are silly people who like Disney that will do a silly thing for Disney. That's right. who's in the, that's that's who's in it, right? And like there's no feel like if you want to get some of that feeling back, there should be a reaching back to a to someone who we all kind of remember, but isn't sexy and cool anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because in 1979, they could have gotten anyone. I mean, again, The right. Muppet Show was like one of the biggest shows in the world. So really, they reach out to a celebrity, a, 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 a well, contemporary and, celebrity they could have gotten, like a well, Harrison Ford or something like that. I don't know well, if that's a great example. <laughs> no, but let's be clear. Having Orson Welles as the studio head is a funny joke, right? Because Orson Welles has battled, had battled with studios his entire life. Sure. His whole career is about how studio heads had fucking destroyed his life <laughs> in his mind. Maybe drinking didn't help, but, but you know, that, that, that relationship. So having him be the studio head is funny and also a little bit of a fuck you to studio heads, right? Right. Like someone watching the movie went, okay, all right. All right. It's it's a joke, but it's the kind of joke you would tell at a roast. It's not the kind of joke you would tell at a fucking uh uh, uh retirement party, right? Yeah. And so right. like and so like they don't have that edge anymore. Like as much as they can occasionally make fun of modern things, I don't think the Muppets have the edge that they had when Henson and Oz were in charge. And I think people miss that because we only remember uh something I'm gonna reference in a second here, which is the ending of this movie which is like a fucking better than any therapy you could have in your life right (laughs) but we forget that leading up to that there was some cheeky shit and that's how the Muppets always were is we're gonna throw some cheeky shit we're gonna make you wonder if a frog and a pig are fucking but then we're also gonna have something life affirming and fun too because that, that was and let's be clear that's fucking Henson that's who yeah. Henson was. He was a weirdo who did experimental shit, That's but it. also believed in hope and life. And you mm-hmm. can't help create Sesame Street and not believe in the potential of human beings, right? But you also can't create some of these characters in the Muppets and not be a little fucked up. He's obviously both things, you know? And that's mm-hmm. why I think people still love his stuff years later, years and years and years later. You can see how if Jim Henson had lived and had you know continued on into the 90s, that he probably would have been battling a lot in terms of trying to keep yep. his vision yep. of what these... And maybe his vision would have been out of date. Maybe he was out of date even in 1979. But it's... I'm, I'm, I have a lot of kind of internal conflict about the idea of creators and their vision and the purity of it. I mean, let's use that word. Just like the... I sometimes think about the Star Wars, right? This The Star Wars. <laughs> With the whole Star Wars kind of uh, universe. And George Lucas and how I'm, I'm not a fan of the prequels whatsoever, but the idea that he created it. This was his idea and it was his vision and he was the one who was, uh, you know, the steering the ship and he decided what you would do and what you wouldn't do. And if he said it, that's how it went. And yeah, it came out that it ended up being bad at times, if not uh, more times than it was good. But when you sell that vision away, 
And then there's a, a, a conglomerate of people who are, you know, a, a boardroom of people deciding on what happens next. You lose a lot of that edge. You lose a lot of that weirdness and you lose a lot of that creativity. And I think I know, look, people love the Mandalorian. They love that that they love other Star Wars stuff post George Lucas's involvement. And you probably would love a lot of and you in the future, you certainly will love more Muppet properties, but it will never feel as pure as it does in this era of the Muppets, I think. I think that's true. I think the important thing to see here is different than other properties, right? And this is something that I think Henson was aware of and that Lucas is in the dark about. And that is that Henson made a decision to make his creation a brand. Yeah. The Muppets were a fucking branding tool for marketing and whatnot. That's well right. Well, yeah, before yeah. he died, long time before he died. And he saw that, I believe, as a positive because he saw his creation as positive and it allowed him to do fucked up. Sh- you know, we wouldn't have the Labyrinth or the Dark Crystal if the Muppets weren't the fucking Muppets or Sesame Street wasn't Sesame Street. You know what I mean? If, I don't know if you've ever seen the Jim Henson Hour, those stories that. He yes, had. yes. I mean, that, those not only would take the kind of puppetry aspect into weird areas, but just told the darkest, most strange stories. Yes. And, yes. And you could tell that. I mean, it, he used the power that he developed from, you're right, from the financial success of being able to advertise and creating this brand to do stranger and more unique things, which is what you would hope, which is honestly what George, uh, what uh, George Lucas always said he was going to do, but to do, but never did. He said he was going to, now I can make the independent projects I always wanted to do. And then he fucking never did it. I just think that, that this idea that there were always walls in front of George Lucas, is just a creation of his own ego. Yeah. And that when he finally did get whatever freedom he felt like he needed, he was too old and lazy to really execute well and too in love with stuff. And that's fine. Like, I think it would have been fine for Star Wars to just be George Lucas's if he wanted it to be, but he didn't want it to be. He wanted it to be what it became, which is a cultural phenomena. Well, if it's a cultural phenomena, then it belongs to the fucking masses. That's just how it is. It, it would be like, it, it literally, it feels sometimes with Lucas, like imagine if, he obviously isn't, but imagine if the creator of Batman was still alive. And every time there was a new Batman thing, he's like, well, that's fucked up. I don't like that. Well, bro, it's not yours anymore. Like you don't get to have an opinion. Like who fucking cares? Like you don't like it. It you 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 sold it into a system where it became an emblem and different people have recreated it for their purposes. And if you didn't want that, you could have been the enigma. I mean, this might change depending on what uh, Villanovu does, but you know, Frank Herbert definitely didn't think like Dune's going to become a brand and we're going to have dude toys and shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that thing is a fucking enigma. And, you know, I think now there's an effort to kind of maybe mainstream it a little bit, but for a long time it was like, well, that's never going to work out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. th- these people bought. And and so with Henson, I, you know, I do think there are decisions that have been made with the Muppet stuff that maybe we would feel is a diluting of his memory and of his creativity, him and Oz, let's give them both credit. But those decisions were often made by the Henson company. And so to some extent, it's like, well, it, it might not have the purity that he had, but you can't say it was stolen from it. You know what I mean? Like, right. you can't say like, oh, he was robbed. Like, the the, the man passed but, away early and they tried to keep his legacy alive, you know? I mean, yeah, especially because his son was involved with that that. Yeah, past. totally. Uh, I mean, I do think that there there was always an attempt by Henson to separate those ca- characters into certain categories, right? Like, particularly when it comes to Sesame Street characters, sure, yes. which you know that he did not want. In, like, even the idea of them being on HBO has ma- has wrinkled a lot of people, and I'm kind of one of them, right? Just the idea of them being off of public well, television. But to me, that's different, though, because that is not a selling out of Henson's weirdo creativity. That's a selling out of the original concept of the yeah. Children's Television Workshop. Sure. And, and the problem there is not creative, in my mind. It's economic, and it comes... Uh, quite honestly, from the U.S. fucking government, because the U.S. government is no longer willing to fund things that help the public good. The reality is the people who should be eating the, the original costs of getting Sesame Street off the ground, which were not insurmountable, but were a lot for public television, were all eaten by Congress. Congress yeah. paid for that shit, and they paid what at the time was not an insane amount of money, but was a lot of money for a television show to be to, to fork out that kind of money. And, but they did it because they saw it as a public good. And they did that for a long time. And then we let Reagan 
gut things. And then eventually we came to the point where Sesame Street is a product that makes money but isn't being funded to do things that don't make money. So, of course, right. it ended up on fucking HBO. And, like, I hate that, but I like that at least it's on HBO because the option was it could be gone forever. It yeah, really exactly, could be right. gone. And that's something that people don't acknowledge that, like, it could have disappeared forever. We're, we're on or a lot of not, Or if not, gone, if, if not gone, then just basically – uh, rearranged old segments, right. right? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, I want to get to something. This is very important. We haven't gotten there yet. There's something I want to hit on before we wrap up. <laughs> you mentioned it very briefly, but I want you to go in. Who is your favorite Muppet and why? Now, it's difficult, right? Like, my favorite sure. Sesame Street Muppet is Grover, for sure. 100%. Okay, okay. But my favorite overall Muppet uh, and particularly the ones uh, the ones featured in this movie is Sweetums, who we don't see a lot of in this movie, but does pop up again and again. <laughs> um, maybe it's because I've been compared to Sweetums several times throughout my life. But just the idea that this is a completely different design. Like, it, it sometimes feels like the Muppets only come in two sizes, like small and then gigantic. But the idea that it's this Muppet that is this beast that has this... Mouth that just kind of swings up and down. Ah, but, ah, ah, ah. but you would absolutely be convinced that this is a living creature in the context of this movie. And hey, maybe even if you saw him on the street. I just love his voice. I love the attitude that he brings. Um, I mean, it's Sweetums and, of course, Animal, who is so perfect in this movie. And you know what? The joke of Animal just kind of repeating words that are being said and just saying it, like, saying it. <laughs> and just say it in the background. Just like that, just again and again. You think it would stop being funny? To me, it just gets funnier and funnier as the movie goes. I just, I mean, a lot of these characters are incredibly lovable, certainly, but those are the two that I most connect with in this particular movie. I have a lot of respect for Kermit, Piggy, Fozzie, <laughs> because these are the people, these are the Muppets who I think have to carry the most actual. Yeah, they're the backbone. Weight. Absolutely. Yeah. But God damn it, if he's not, if he's played right. Gonzo is my favorite, period, all time. Has been since I was a kid. I, I mean, I, I've been told I'm a weirdo since I was like a child. So it was just obvious, like Gonzo, of course. Now, that doesn't mean, I think you're right. Sweetums has always been charming in whatever form. I love Animal. Animal's funny. Um, one of the things I meant to mention before, but uh, in my whole theory around the Muppets have always been retro, uh, one of the things I didn't think about till this viewing was how the Electric Mayhem <laughs> didn't make sense in 1979. Electric Mayhem didn't even really make sense when the Muppet Show started. Like, no, that's that, right. That kind of hippie rock band didn't even exist anymore. And I didn't know that. As a kid, I really thought, like, Electric Mayhem, yeah, that's what rockers are like. What the fuck are you talking? Like, I yeah. wasn't watching. Like, by the time I was watching fucking uh, uh, the Muppets, it was like you know, new wave was already happening. And I'm looking at the Electric Mayhem, like, yeah, these are what rockers are like. The fucking Doctor Teeth or whatever. <laughs> Doctor Teeth, so fucking crazy. But like, when you watch it now, as a as a viewer, I watch it, and I go, these guys are extras from an exploitation movie about hippies. <laughs> It's so great because, like, even within the band, they don't make sense that they're putting no. together. That no. Zoot is this kind of like, like bebop type saxophonist, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and then you uh-huh. have you have Janice and Floyd who are like absolutely like late sixties rocker, and then you got fucking Doctor Teeth, who is I mean I don't know who he's supposed to be an analog to. He's basically every over the top seventies glamish type uh, band leader, and but his voice, might... but his voice is a clear reference to like the Wolfman, absolutely, other... yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Or Dr. John or something like yeah, that. But totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then you got Animal who could, might as well. I mean, he's the one that is aged the best because he could still be a rock drummer, right? Oh, yeah. You could see him in any heavy band ever. Like, yeah. he's just, he's Animal, you know? Anyways, back to what I was saying. Uh, all that stuff is funny. I, they all charm me in their own ways. But I always connect to Gonzo, depending on how he's played. There are some properties where Gonzo is just stupid, and that's not right. Like, Gonzo isn't stupid. He no. is. Non sequitur. <laughs> yeah, he's weird. He doesn't always get the clue, the cues and clues around him. But I, you know, either the ones I don't like is when Gonzo is just so pathetically in love with Miss Piggy that he, you can't even respect him anymore. Right. I don't love that, and I don't love it when he's played for stupid. Like, oh, he's just dumb. That's not. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. But I love Gonzo. I've always loved Gonzo, and he was my favorite character in Muppet Babies too. So <laughs> the idea that he. Is in a relationship with a chicken that is not commented on whatsoever. It's just sure, why not? I mean, everyone. I mean, this this is a a, 
a frog and a pig are getting together. Why not a weirdo? And a well, the chair? idea that you have Gonzo, right? And then you were like, we also need a guy who throws fly, throws flying fish. Oh, okay. <laughs> and we also need a guy who just blows things up, and he's the crazy one. What the fuck is Gonzo, then? What are we doing? <laughs> he's some sort of turkey-ish character. <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah, I mean, the guy who blows stuff up, there's something wrong. Like every time I see him, I'm like, "Don't tell me Jim Henson stuff is all smiles and hugs." That guy's actually upsetting. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a fucking Manson family guy. You know, like I just like the idea that Kermit, in his kind of a nervous. Uh, energy that he has as the person trying to hold everything together, that he has no choice on who is included and who isn't. No, it's just that, no. well, they're all Muppets, so I have to make sure yeah. that every... That's like, it's they're like he can just fire team. one. <laughs> no, they're all they're all in. Stat, Statler and Waldorf, they have to show up no matter what, even though they're just mean. Like, everything... It's just, I love it. It's so good. The American Eagle guy, it just doesn't make any sense. He, he, he made a lot more sense in the 80s than he did probably in the 70s, yeah, or maybe yeah. not. But I love it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. Let's wrap. What a great movie. We got it. We got to wrap up here. I got to finish up here, of course, with the ending before we get into Carol Kane's performance. Sure, sure. Um, Did the ending make you cry? And if not, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) It didn't make me cry, though. I did tear up during. I teared up during the opening. Right. I mean, like I said, that first, that very solemn version of Rainbow Connection uh, at the beginning is that one is the one that hits me the hardest I think of everything in the movie I find the ending to be so celebratory that it, I don't tear up during it but and also I think maybe it's because I was watching it very closely and I was like the deta- the kind of the technical aspect of all of these Muppets doing all of these yes, things yes, yes I started to be kind of overwhelmed by that a little bit and trying to figure out it was almost like a magic trick I wanted to see how it was done uh, and I think there's a lot of that in this movie I mean look Kermit riding the bike is always going to be the thing that people point to as like this technical thing in it and that is incredible no doubt it it is also the kind of incredible that you would never see anymore right because that that is a problem that has a very easy solution in t- 2022 um, but I just love the idea that that you are taking these people out of a theater and putting them in the real world. Okay, that is that that means a thousand different problems that you yes, have to solve yes. in every single scene. And then you also have to solve these problems and make sure the people watching are never thinking about the fact that those problems are being solved. And I mean, I think that's pretty incredible. This I is, hear this, I hear you, Doug. But I'm I, I said the ending. I meant specifically the the climax. Oh, where literally the Kermit sings. Life's like a movie, write your own ending, and then all yeah. the Muppets, all the fucking Muppets who've ever existed in one giant shot say, keep believing, keep pretending, we've done just what we've set out to do, thanks to the lovers, the dreamers, and you. Yeah. I'm going to cry right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think, and again, and I really was referring to that particular part. I have to be honest. I was mostly just trying to make out which Muppets were in that pile because I was like, I, I did that, that the second many. time. The second time yeah, I yeah. watched it. I, it's I just because that. there's so much. I mean, this is a really kind of well-known story that basically they did a call out to the Puppeteers Association or whatever and got every puppeteer they possibly could get into a giant pit so they could have basically every Muppet that's ever existed in one shot at the end of the movie. But that shot is so short that it's like I'm just like staring at my TV screen. It's like, where is Grover? Where is like Telly? Where is all of these Muppets that I grew up with, right? But yeah, maybe that separated me from the emotional aspect a little bit. Bro, but you're that, right; that those part, words are perfect, right? That part, it's like I, I, I think I actually tweeted something like, "I'm sure if I was more emotionally healthy, it would make me weep bitter tears." But that <laughs> sounds like something I don't want. You know, I don't want to be that person because it's like, like you know, it, 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 it is. It's challenging you to be a better person. It's challenging you to think about play and joy as part of your mission in life. And it's affirming like the Muppet movie is a climax. Now, we know it's it's not the only thing. They've made many movies after. But at the time, it's like, look where we fucking got to. Look where this crazy thing that we started yeah. came to. Yeah. We made a movie. And you, the audience, are a part of how we got here. That's the symbolism of showing every single fucking Muppet. It crushed every time, Doug. I just am like, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> Even now, with the Muppets as diminished as they are, and Sesame Street as diminished as they are, 
if I was a puppeteer and I got to do any of those projects, I, know, I would right? think I was doing the best fucking thing in the world. It's I, still I can also magic. see myself, if I was looking at one of those puppets, I absolutely would talk to a Muppet's face as opposed to the person yes. operating. Oh, 100%. Right? You, you hear people say that all the time. You know, we haven't really given the big shout out to the soundtrack of this movie, but Paul Williams and Kenneth Asher's, the, the music in this is I mean, I use the word unimpeachable probably a little too much. The music in this is unimpeachable. It it's is unbelievable. Perfect. Yeah. Doug, the thing you got to understand about me and the emotions with these characters, I met Carol Spinney in an elevator at Comic-Con for two seconds, and I started crying. Like, literally, his <laughs> wife had to, like, put an arm on me. It probably you know? happens all the time. It probably happens just, all the time. I, just, I had just watched the movie because it came out before he passed away, the movie right. about him being Big, Big Bird. And right. I just was like, Big Bird's so important, and the movie was so good, and I just couldn't keep it together. And then, friend of the show, Brian Yan, who, like, is a dude who every story is about how badass he is. Everything is about him fighting the world or being the toughest guy or the coolest guy. I watched him get emotional talking to Carol Spinney at a fucking brunch in the hotel. You know what I mean? Like, like he just, there's just something about these characters that if they matter to you, they matter to you in a way. And the way that this film says... Hey, this is pretty amazing, right? Well, you were part of that, and you're going to do something better than this later. Is unbelievable. It's an unbelievable thing. And even now, like I can only pray that my daughter connects to anything as much as I was connected to these characters when I was a kid. You know, Liam is a big fan of the Muppets, and it meant a lot to him growing up. And it you know did. what? I, I, I even can't the separate even that. the Great Muppet Caper, which is a terrible film, like it's like really bad. I and haven't I seen still it for a long it. time. Oh, yeah, 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 so, yeah. It's so bad. And is Muppets Take it, is Muppets Take Manhattan good still? I remember yeah, that being. It's good. pretty fucking good. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's got some things that some people don't like. I think it's great top to bottom but great Muppet Caper I'll watch the whole thing right now with a smile on my face but I'll admit it's not good it's not funny a lot of jokes don't work it's it's not very good we gotta finish up here we've already mentioned it we've already said it but I'm gonna <laughs> ask again Doug how do you feel about Carol Keene in this movie even with her small role I mean again it. I do question whether people were supposed to say oh that's Carol Kane in this movie or Hey, that's that actress we sort of recognize. It's just difficult to tell in retrospect how recognizable she's supposed to be. The only reason I would think that she would be recognizable, really, is the fact that every other face in a similar role in this movie is someone recognizable. And it's important that it's them in those roles. So in terms of her being this kind of striking figure that makes this one joke that has this kind of (laughs) – that has a callback that's even funnier than the first time – I think it's perfect. I think she's perfect in it. There isn't much to say about the role outside of, hey, it's Carol Kane. She said something funny. Let's move on, that sort of thing. But um, I would have to think, and I'm, I don't want to speak to, to – I, I don't want to speak for her, and I haven't read any interviews to confirm this, that this had to have been a massive joy in her yeah. life to be able to yeah. do this ridiculous joke in this incredible movie. I mean, it certainly wasn't a huge time commitment, right? She's in two scenes, but 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 again, as we said before, just by showing up twice, she's already got big recognition in this fucking movie because so many famous people are just there for a moment. Yeah, it's great. You know, it's it doesn't have her doing much, but in this context, just the fact that the joke is funny is enough to set it apart from other jokes in the movie. Yes, um, which which aren't bad jokes. But this one actually is like, oh, okay, this the second time. The first time it's like, oh, okay, dad, that's a real good dad joke. But when she shows up again, it almost felt like Monty Python-y. Like, what the fuck yeah. is she doing here? I just, yeah. I like that. I like that part, part. Yeah, or like a Zucker Brothers type Exactly, type joke. yes, yes. Like yes, that yes. And, the, and the fork in the road are the ones that I always remember from yeah, this. Yeah, uh, And the fork in the road isn't even funny outside of Kermit's response where he's like, I don't believe that. <laughs> just... or, 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 when, or, when, or when in the song they mentioned that they're in Saskatchewan and they drive past them. <laughs> A bounty? <laughs> well, I know you would find that funny. <laughs> I did find it funny. I still find it. I still laugh when he says I've never seen the sun come up in the West. Yeah, that's good. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, all right. Enough of this humor and this joy. I hope you guys have had your fill of us actually enjoying life because on the next episode of Praising Cade, we're going to be talking about a very disturbing film. I actually, I'll be honest, Doug. I don't remember much of this movie other than Carol Kane's part, which maybe doesn't speak well to the film, but we'll see when we rewatch it for this episode. 1979's When a Stranger Calls, directed by Fred Walton. Uh, a psychopathic killer terrorizes a babysitter, then returns seven years later to menace her again. 
I, I mean, I've seen When a Stranger Calls. It's been many years. You know, I was listening to, uh, with Gorley and Russ, the, the podcast with the two comedians uh, talking about horror films. And on a recent episode, um, Paul Rust said that the sequel to When a Stranger Calls is incredible and has this amazing tone. And these I've heard that too. I've too. heard that too. I've never seen it. And I've never seen it. So, I mean, I, now I, 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 it's not that I'm not excited about visiting When a Stranger Calls, but now I'm much more curious about that sequel again. And of course, you can't get to that sequel until you talk about the original. This movie was a big financial success in 1979. Uh, it is a movie that I think has retained some um, reputation in the public consciousness, at least in, in the minds of horror fans. And of course, it was remade in 2006. But I, I don't know if my memories have clouded my thoughts on what, what it, When a Stranger Calls is like. I really don't have that many many memories about it, so I'm very curious to revisit I, it and see I have some, how much I, I have some it. very specific memories about Carol Kane in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you ask me to tell you like the general plot outside of the 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 premise i don't remember like it just didn't stick with me uh and and in my experience talking to other horror fans this is one that like either people like really love or they just skipped for some reason just didn't yeah 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 you know and it's i don't know why that is so it'll be interesting to talk about it how it plays now so i don't know i'm excited um doug if people are excited about this show uh and about learning more about this show and about the network we're a part of where could they go to do that well, you can always find our latest episodes over at Cinepunks.com, as well as a lot of amazing writing and other podcasts as well. If you want to check out more episodes of Praising Kane, our podcast devoted to the life and work of actress Carol Kane, do that over at Cinemasmorgasbord.com. That's where all of the umbrella podcasts that we have, including podcasts devoted to such diverse topics as Alejandro Jodorowsky, Jackie Chan, uh, Vic Diaz. You can check out the, all of them over at Cinemasmorgasbord.com or on Twitter at Cinemasmorg, that's S-M-O-R-G, or do a search for Cinema Smorgasbord on Facebook. You can also, of course, follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R U L Z. And I'm on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y. I love it. Love it, Doug. Love your gimmick. I love that you do it every time. It makes me happy. <laughs> um, hey, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. You know, if you're listening to us on. You know, a, a platform that allows you to rate things. Go ahead and rate us. And uh, if you want to tell a friend, we'd really appreciate that. But until next time, we're just going to go ahead and say good night. Good night. Life's like a movie, write your own ending, keep believing, keep pretending, we've done just what we've set out to do, thanks to the lovers, the dreamers, and